0: So, we're in, that, uh, we're in this series Reach, Build, Train, uh, Send. Reaching others with the life changing good news about Jesus Christ. Building committed disciples of Jesus Christ. Training gospel workers. Sending out and supporting gospel partners. These are the four biblical priorities that, that as a church, we seek to glorify God in and through, because that's our ultimate goal in all things to give God the glory. Last week, we examined that biblical priority to reach. Now, we saw that the ultimate means of that, of course, is the gospel of grace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of his life, death, and his resurrection. And we saw the need, didn't we? We saw the need that we have to reach others with that good news. We're to respond to the biblical instruction, the imperative to go and make disciples. And lastly, we saw that we're to know and respond with urgency, The need is so great, and we do not know the time when Christ will return to judge. We must be urgent in that sense. But we apply and live out this biblical priority, recognizing that we must do so, understanding that our work in in reaching others in obedience to God's word must be seen in the gospel order that it was intended. So as I mentioned last week, we must be clear that we obey God's word, or any of this that we're looking at over these few weeks, Any of this must be seen in a gospel order and not in a kind of religious way. Let me, I remember I kind of pointed out this way. The religious way, the natural inclination of our hearts and our minds is sometimes this, it's we believe and we obey and therefore we think those two combined will save us. We believe, put our faith in Jesus, we do some obedience and that will save us. That is a kind of a religious order, but that is not the Bible's order, or, as we might say, the gospel order. We cannot come to God and say, "Yeah, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I've done a kind of few things, and that will make me acceptable before you." That is not the way that we see defined in God's word. It isn't believe and obey so that we're saved. It is believe, put your trust in Jesus Christ. You will be therefore saved. And in response, we obey. We put our trust in the gospel of Jesus. And that and that alone saves us. And we obey simply in grateful, joyful response. Believe, saved, and therefore obey. And if we get this order wrong, we end up perverting the gospel of Jesus. We deceive ourselves because we, some, we then kind of think, oh, well, I can offer something to God but to make up for my salvation. No. It does not make us acceptable for heaven. In reality, we are only ever saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That undeserved work and kindness that he has poured out through his life, death and resurrection. If we get the order wrong, you see, just think about last week, we reach those around us kind of tentatively sometimes, because we think that their salvation kind of, in some ways, is dependent on our performance, how articulate we are as we, as we tell them the good news about Jesus. So we, we reach them tentatively. We must get the order right, so we reach those around us appropriately. And, and if we do it in the wrong order, we can also think that, well, perhaps... You know, in us doing that work, it will help us get to to be acceptable with God. No. We reach those around us proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, boldly trusting that he is sovereign over all of these things. And ultimately, he will be the one that opens up blind eyes. We reach those around us understanding that we are saved by faith alone, and we simply respond to that gracious gift through obedience and reaching others with the the gospel that has saved us. I hope and pray over this last week as you have been considering those around you I wonder who you need to reach out to with the gospel the life-saving gospel of the Lord Jesus. Who do you need to love in the most loving way by making the gospel known? Getting that right order believe, save, obey will liberate us from a fear of failure to serve with joy as we reach our friends with the gospel. And likewise, we're going to need to keep that gospel order a, a priority central to our thinking as we now consider this second biblical priority, that is, to build. Now, you could have easily replaced that word with, with grow. They seem quite synonymous with each other. Uh, they're virtually sort of kind of linked uh, in a number of ways throughout the New Testament. We saw that in the passage we just heard read. Why don't you just open up your Bibles? It should be in Ephesians 4. Let me just read the, the following verses from what we heard read in verse 14 to 16. We've heard the, the word grow and build already in that, in that paragraph uh, from verse 1 to 13. And then he says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness uh, of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, this image of the body is is used to describe the church growing up, maturing in their faith, and it seems like we grow together as we build one another up. The two seem inextricably linked here and equally important to each other. And so I, I, I'm trying to get a little bit more practical uh, this week, if I can. There's two points on your outline, and they simply are the how and the why. So we're going we're to go straight forward and look at the how. How, essentially, are we going to build one another up? Well, firstly, we need to submit ourselves and recognise that God is sovereign in and over all of these things. Any building up of the church, both corporately and individually, is God's work. Because Christ, we see, is at the head. Likewise in Colossians 2, verse 19, if you want to note that down, look at it later. Christ there is depicted as the one who supports the whole body, bringing growth in and through his leadership in that way. So let's be clear as we begin. Though we have a responsibility that we must uh, uh, obediently live out, we cannot take the credit. Whether we preach, whether we lead small groups, whether we're just having a conversation with one another, building one another up. Whatever we do, we must humbly acknowledge, as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 3, for example, where he says, I planted the seed, but Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Of course the same message, I don't want to kind of go over this too much, you, you, you know this already, like Mark 4 and the parable of the soils uh, there, the parable of the sower is it's well known. Our growth uh, it comes, uh, our building up of our faith, spiritual maturity is first and foremost there as it is in 1 Corinthians 3, as it is here in Ephesians 4 in Colossians 2. It is God's sovereign work through his word. And also before we look at, our responsibility in building one another up, can we be clear that the building and the growth that we're speaking of here in God's church is a spiritual building up, a maturing in our faith? It isn't that numerical growth, which perhaps we might default to very quickly, it isn't that numerical growth is something we shouldn't long for and pray for. Absolutely. Uh, for example, if you were to turn to the book of Acts, you see the continual frame of those opening eight chapters as uh, the word of God was taught. And what happened? They grew in number. And the numbers are noted. Great numbers. God was growing and building his church both numerically and in maturity there. But the thing that we find is often that you, numbers can confuse us. Because as we look to a, you know, a massive church somewhere you know, in the centre of London or around the world, we can get confused and look at a big church and think that's a healthy church. It may be, but it may not be. Numbers mustn't confuse us in that degree. Likewise, we can't look at a small church like us and say, oh, well, we must be healthy because we're small. No, it doesn't work like that. The building up numerically and growing of God's people can be linked, but not always. And we must be careful that numbers don't confuse us. We must be careful to understand that building one another up is primarily a maturing of our faith. As Ephesians 4 shows us, look at uh, verse uh, 15. Uh, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Growing, you see, seems to be pointing us to say we'll become more like him, more like Christ. But notice the context there is always love. The aim is maturity in our faith, trusting in Christ the head through all things, whether joyful or sad. But the context of our growth must always be love. So again, like last week, understanding how this happens is so important. We are built up. We grow as Christians. But what is the vehicle for that growth? We must get this right. I I have a car. I put diesel in my car. Okay, It's a bit of of an obvious point, but I put diesel in my car. I also have a motorbike, which is super exciting and makes me smile. Um, But I have to put petrol in my motorbike. Now, if I get that wrong, that is a very costly mistake. And I've been quite close at times You you hold it, you, ooh, no, pull that one back and and you don't do it. You know, it's a very expensive mistake if you do make the mistake. But secondly, you end up going nowhere if you do make the mistake. You just stand there with a pump in your hand on a forecourt looking rather silly and getting quite angry. Now, you see, how we build one another up is so important. Ignoring God's way can be very costly and also very frustrating as well to the church. Look again at Ephesians 4 if you can. Particularly verse 14. The context is the warning there of verse 14. Uh, t- toward maturity. He says. Then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back, um, back and forth by the waves. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And by the cunning and craftiness of people. in their deceitful scheming. He's saying look. You don't want that. If you're going to grow. If you're going to be built up uh, in the word. You don't want this. Rather, he says, verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. Do you see? Building one another up in Christ, growing in our faith, comes by a number of other ways, but here it says, speaking the truth in love. And in that little phrase, I think we see a few things. I think we see the means The tone and the content that God gives us to build one another up in our faith. And I just want to spend a little bit of time just in that phrase. We could have turned a whole bunch of other places in the New Testament. But here I just want to turn there simply because I think we've got to see how those three work together. And we've got to get all three right. The means we are to speak, the tone we are to speak in love. The content we are to speak, the truth. Let's look at the means to begin with. I don't know about you, but so often in an age where we you know, ping off a text or a, a, an email, probably hundreds in a day for many of you at work, speaking is somewhat demoted, isn't it, in a, in a, in a verbal sense, in a, speaking out uh, and communicating that way. And, and the phone is good. It's good to pick up a phone and, and have a conversation with someone. But it is never a, a good replacement for seeing someone's eyebrows by that I mean, the eyebrows are one of the best forms of nonverbal communication. You can see, I'm happy my eyebrows are up. I'm sad because my eyebrows are up. You not know, you get the point. Building one another up in Christ to speak to one another it means we're going to have to spend deliberate time with one another, which is a precious commodity that so many of us long for more of. We have to think about the means, don't we? We're to speak to one another. And how we do that is hard in our culture and our times. Think about the tone, but to speak in love. Now this isn't the love that compromises or legitimises. Speaking in love is to love that person that they may become more like Christ. That's the aim here in Ephesians 4. Speaking in love at, at times will include encouraging and very gentle affirming words. But of course, sometimes speaking in love will include correcting and even rebuking words. Again, think about the means. They are so important because it's very hard to say the difficult thing in love, isn't it? To someone when you say, oh, quick text, or uh, you know, uh, ping out an email. I-, I wonder how many of you in your work uh, kind of environments, or maybe even in your family and your friends, I wonder how many of you have had to de- deal with... Kind of relationships at work, breakdowns of relationship because an email has been pinged off too quickly. It has no gentle tone in it. It's just, it may all be true. But yet, you know it is read and it's received by the recipient in a, in a very harsh way. And how do they respond? The only way that they know how. That is defensively and aggressively. And by the number of you smiling, I think you're probably all going, yeah, I'm dealing with that right now. It happens all too often, doesn't it? We have to be very careful we to, that we are to speak in love. And that will involve sometimes hard words, but equally sometimes we will need to build one another up. Someone who's struggling, someone who's in pain, someone who's feeling lost, we need to speak to them in love. And let's be clear. I wanted to mention this because I think it's something I see all too often. Let's be clear. Flattery is not love. Love. Sadly, it is probably the most common legitimized tool for getting what you want. It's employed not in love, but selfishly. It is used so the one speaking gets what they want. And it's used sadly even in church ministry all too often. And it it needs to be seen for what it is. It is not loving. It is selfish. It is self-serving and deceptive. See, speaking in love puts the other person first, not the one speaking, puts the other person first to build them up toward maturity in Christ. And we must be careful that we do not employ flattery. Now, be realistic. Some of you are going, well, I know this speaking in love sounds great, but have you seen my schedule? Have you seen how crushed my time is? You know, if you were to meet up regularly to speak face-to-face face, you know, face face with all your friends, all your family, all your, you just wouldn't have the time. Let me just say this. Acknowledging that reality. Don't default to the hopelessness of our time-constrained lives and do nothing. Better a small text than nothing. Better a quick phone call for a minute or two than Nothing. We're called to build one another up toward maturity in Christ, speaking the truth in love. Now we've left, if you like, the most important part to the, to the end. That is the content, the truth. We are speaking love, but what we speak is crucial, isn't it, to building one another up. You know, imagine, you, you meet a friend. You, you say, let's catch up, and uh, it's nice, let's go for a coffee or a, a drink, or just come round to my house, and, and you know how it goes. And, and what do we do? We talk about work. Of course we do. We live in London. We talk about the We we, we don't talk, we moan about the weather. Of course we do, because we're British. And, you know, we probably talk about at the moment the economy and politics, because that's the current thing, isn't it? We're very much in our minds. We're all Brexiteers now and so on. Uh, but, but what is the truth that we are to speak in love? Ephesians 4 is uh, pretty clear. It shows us that speaking the truth will grow us to become more like Christ. Of course, Jesus Christ is the one who described himself as the truth. Say in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Speaking the truth is essentially to speak Christ. Christ, who is God's word himself. He was the word, as in John 1. We're to speak the truth of the God's word in love to one another. And this is so important that we grasp this. Because the word is the means of God's rule. We become Christians when we respond to the faith, uh, we respond in faith to the message of the gospel word. That is what we're doing is when we become Christians, we're submitting ourselves to the rule of the gospel, of the gospel word. As Jesus says in John 5, 24, for example, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You see, it's a response to the word that we are saved. But as a church and as individuals, we will never grow. We will never be built up as a church in Christ. We will never mature in our faith unless we speak the truth. The truth of God's word in love to one another. Unless the gospel is allowed to permeate every area of our lives, as we speak it into each other's lives, we will never grow. Which is why we take the Bible so seriously here at Christchurch Hillsfield. I'm unashamed of that. We won't grow up. We will not mature as Christians. We can't build one another up without the truth in our hearts and on our lips as we speak to one another. Think back again to when you met with your uh, friend from church. When you last met. What did you talk about? Just think proportions. Proportions weather? Andy Murray? You know, just sport in general? The depressing nature of the British culture and our sort of political system? You know, what did you go, how long did you go for in each? All of those are good things. I'm not saying every time we speak the Bible's open, uh, speak the gospel. No. We need to be normal and have good friendships and speak about normal things. But how much of your time do you spend speaking the word of Christ to one another applying the the gospel to those areas of life that you're speaking about if someone is struggling in their marriage you know you you hear a friend and you're having a chat and they say yeah things are a bit tough speak the truth in love if someone is sad Someone's finding London life quite lonely. Someone's going through, a, you know, a difficult time, an illness. Speak, speak the truth in love. Someone's getting, you know, you see them, uh, they're getting a bit obsessed with work. It's just all they think about. They're getting so career orientated, money is everything, their possessions and so on. Uh, speak the truth in love. We should really be apologising to one another when we don't. This isn't kind of freakish, kind of, ooh, this is a bit crazy church, you know, what we do. This is normal, Christian, loving one another, building one another up with the word of God. If we want to mature, if we want to grow, if we want to be built as a church, this is the way. And again, you need to watch out for weak alternatives. You know, If you see someone struggling, rebelling against God and his word in a particular way, if you just say, oh, you know, you're okay, a little bit of a hug, no. Some of those things are fine, but speak the truth in love. You need to apologize for not, if you haven't. For not applying the gospel word to the most sensitive areas of your friends' lives. Now, you've got to acknowledge, they may not appreciate you speaking the truth in love. I know some points in my life, I've had friends who come up to me and say, hey, you know, and they've caught me. Uh, and, and it hurts, doesn't it, sometimes? But you need to remember, they're doing it in love. Sometimes love can be painful in that way. You need to remember that as you speak the truth in love, your friends may even reject you for, for a time, maybe completely. Because it hurts sometimes. But whose rule do we live under? <clears throat> if you are a Christian today, you have submitted yourself to the rule of God through His words, and therefore, you, as you speak the truth in love, you must hold all of those three together. If you just speak the truth without love, it will always be received as interfering criticism, won't it? If you just speak in love, you'll probably default to kind of some gentle platitudes. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I think it's gay. Yeah, how it goes. You never. You never. Really speak the truth. If you don't dare to speak or communicate the truth of God's word in love, there will be no clarity at all. So how do we build one another up? We speak the truth of God's word. Our conversations must be gospel-centered. And then and only then, look at Ephesians 4 again, we will grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. To finish and much more briefly, let's just think of the why question, shall we? Please turn to 1 Peter 2 if you can. can you Just flip to 1 Peter 2. When someone gets to the page number, it's appropriate. Just shout out the page number. 1 Peter 2? 2. 1218. 1218. Ash wins. Great. <laughs> it's unfair, isn't it? <laughs> he probably knows all the numbers. <laughs> page 1218. 1 Peter 2. Now, we won't go through this uh, uh, in any uh, great detail, but if you just flip back to verse 4 of that chapter, you'll see that Peter is employing language of being built up at the beginning of this chapter. In verse 4, we, we see that uh, we come to Christ, the living stone, but, but united to him by faith as we are. We also, like living stones, he then says, are being built up. But why? Verse 5, to live lives that are acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. Then we get to verse eleven, if we can. Uh, I love these verses. Peter urges the church there, uh, as foreigners and exiles, they're called to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So that you see that they're, they're to be built up in Christ and to abstain from everything that isn't Christlike. But but why? They're to abstain to stand out from the crowd to live distinct lives that honour God in obedience to His word. But Being built up to become more like Christ, we see why is really answered in verse 12. Just turn your eyes down there if you can. We're to live such good lives among the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Just a few moments on this, if I may. We build one another up, you see. We're to be built up as a church together to mature in Christ through his words. Why? Firstly, to glorify God our growth, our being built up, our becoming more like Christ, is is how we give praise to God, ultimately, give glory to God. Because in so doing, we recognise it is His work of building us up through His Word and by His Spirit. Like in Matthew 5 and 16, we looked at this a couple of months ago as we went through the Sermon on the Mount. We're to let the light of our lives shine among men and women around us, so they may see our good deeds. But the verse finishes, remember saying? What does it say? So that we would praise our Father in heaven, give glory to him. Building our faith, building one another up, is not a work of self-promotion, you see. We may water and seed, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, but it is God that ultimately grows and God that ultimately builds us up. We as a church will must seek to build each other up speaking the truth in love to one another and to ourselves listening to God's word letting the spirit work through that word into our hearts illuminating the word to us first and foremost the reason why is so that God may get the praise and the glory that he deserves as our creator lord secondly we must uh, also build one another why to make him known to make him known Verse 12 of 1 Peter 2 is, is clear that if the church lives such good lives, it says among the pagans there, the non-Christian communities that we live in, Earlsfield, Wimbledon Park, Southfield, wherever we live, as we live such good lives amongst all the people around us, Christ-like lives, lives that are growing, being built up day by day as we uh, apply God's word to each area of our lives. As we live as foreigners and exiles in London, that is understanding that we're not truly home, that we await our final home place that we're going to be looking at on Tuesday in our home groups in Revelation 22. It's not that we're to be removed or detached from London. We can enjoy this amazing city and all that it offers, but we are called to recognize that our true home is in the new creation that awaits. And if we are those maturing people of Christ in this place growing our faith, being built up, applying the gospel, then those around, all those people will see that we are foreigners and exiles. They will see our good deeds. And what will they do? They will give glory to God as well on the day that he returns, verse 12 shows us. This is how God makes himself known to our neighbors. It's through you. This is how God makes himself known to your colleagues and your friends. It's through you. We are to build and in response live such good lives among the pagans. It says, though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will, they may see your good deeds, your Christ-likeness, and glorify God on the day he visits us. We are to build thirdly why? Why? To indicate life. A healthy church will always have that pervasive concern with church growth and maturity in Christ. A church full of baby Christians who think they can get by with some like, little experiences of, of great praise or whatever it may be. Not applying the word of God to every area of their lives. Even the most painful areas. But they've been resistant A church full of baby Christians will crumble at some point when the pressures of life, the perennial vicissitudes, as Don Carson called it, at Revive. I had to look that one up, but there we go. (laughs) The ups and downs of life. When the pressure comes, baby Christians will crumble because they haven't applied the word of God to every area. See, growth is a sign of life, isn't it? One commentator put it this way, he said, growing trees are living trees, growing animals are living animals. And something stops growing, what happens? It dies. Mark Dever from his uh, brilliant book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, says this, Remember, it is only the things that are alive that swim upstream. The dead things all float along with the current. We're to be foreigners and exiles, distinct, different. Christ-like, swimming upstream against a culture which is drift drifting. Let me conclude, if I, if I may. We're to build one another up, growing our faith in Christ. Why? We've seen to glorify God. Because our, our growth will be the appropriate praise for all that he has done. Secondly, to make him known, which will in turn brilliantly give praise to God. Thirdly, to indicate life. Life in Christ, which is the most wonderful assurance of our faith, isn't it? If you stop growing, if you stop building one another up, what assurance do you have? It just stagnates. Let me finish with this, and then I think we probably have one or two moments for questions if we can. Here's a quote. If we are to grow as individual believers and as churches, we must sit under God's word. We must pray for the Holy Spirit to plant and to weed the gardens of our hearts. The spiritual growth is not optional, it is vital because spiritual growth indicates life. Things that are truly alive grow. Let's pray that that is true uh, for us as a church. Let's pray and then why don't we actually, let's pray in a moment. Why don't we just turn to the people beside us uh, or maybe just think for ourselves? Are there any points of clarification that we might want any questions we want to ask? We sometimes do this. Turn to the people beside you, have a little chat for two minutes, and then we'll see if there's anything, uh, any questions that people will have. Okay, just turn to the people beside you, and we'll come back in a moment.